Good morning. It is a great day, even though the weather may be a little dreary. It is a great day to be together. And as we usually say, this is a wonderful congregation to be a part of. We appreciate the years of both Heath and Don. But I think that if we add in Joe and Charles, we're probably well over 100 uh, years total between all four of these men. But it's evident how much they love this congregation as well, not only from their words this morning and their service, but also uh, for the years that they have, have put in and the way that they feel about all of you. And even my, though my family is a long way off from, from those kinds of numbers of years of this congregation, we have come to love you all very much and are so thankful when we can be together. And as we have tried to emphasize on our, in, during our Wednesday night Bible study, uh, it is about relationships. Of course, our, the number one relationship is with God, and we are faithful to him. But he did leave, Jesus did leave his church so that we can be a part of that and be encouraged by that. And with our book, the book that we've been looking at, Church Reset, we have tried to encourage ourselves that we would do better about emphasizing that, being a part of this congregation. One of those ways in which we do that is to be here when the doors are open for our services. And we remind you that we'll be back again at 1.30 this afternoon. If you can be back with us for our afternoon study, our teens will be gone to the teen singing today, but we will meet here and have a period of worship together. We also continue to have lunch between services if you'd like to stay and be a part of that, or we encourage you if you would like to run, run out to a, a restaurant or a fast food place and grab something and then come back and eat with us. Uh, that's fine too because part of the point is just that we're together and we're able to spend a little bit of time together. About 25 of us or so spent some time together on Friday night as a part of our game night. We finished with a, a game together, the adults all around one table having a good time and laughing and enjoying being together. And, and that's the kind of thing that it's about. It's about our time of worship and it's about our time of praise to God and our time of study but also building those relationships and laughing together and crying together and, and just enjoying one another and encouraging one another through the good times and also through the struggles of this life. And we just love this place and hope that you do as well and that you'll take every opportunity to be a part of anything that we have going on here at the congregation. Very often you have questions that come up in your mind. And you've heard it said before, probably by preachers and teachers, that there's no such thing as a, a dumb question and that you should ask any question that, that you have. I, I would go a step further and say that not only maybe is there no dumb question, because if you have it, you need to ask and, and find out the answer, but there's also a, a high chance that if you have a question, that someone else has that very same question. Beginning today and going into next Sunday morning, God be willing, we're going to assemble again and we're going to take a look at this particular question in a second part because it's really too much for us just to look at in one lesson together. But it comes from a question, not that anyone actually had here, but I heard a, a lesson that was done off of this and a preacher said that, that he had someone ask him this particular question. He developed it into an outline and I asked if I could borrow it because I believe I would be willing to say that, that someone here has this same question. Either you've had it in the past or, or still have it. It's been something that has come to your mind before. Because when we think about the Bible and we think about Scripture, very often, maybe very, very often, intelligent, highly educated even people read the same verse or the same passage of Scripture but come away with very different conclusions. Now that can cover a multitude of things. That can come to very specific things when it comes to how we worship or how we are saved. But it can come to other things as well. And it's impossible and will be impossible for us to give one singular reason 
of why it's true 100% of the time, that every time someone disagrees on Scripture, that this is why. But there are some common reasons for different interpretations of the Bible. Now, again, I'm going to have to ask that you will plan to be back with us next Sunday morning because it's really next Sunday that we're going to get into those reasons of why people disagree. But before we can get there, it's going to be important that we lay the foundation for understanding some of those things. Why is it that intelligent people often differ so much on the Bible? One thing we'll say this morning here at the outset, and I didn't include it in your outline, but one thing that we need to understand is that the fault does not lie with God. The fault does not lie with God. If we differ, if two people sit down and look at something and differ, then one or even both of us is wrong. Because the fault does not lie with God. We're going to finish with this particular passage, but we'll also notice at the beginning from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 1 Corinthians 14 and verse number 33, that God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. If God is not the author of confusion, then when we have a problem, when we look at a passage of scripture and we disagree, the fault does not lie with God. In fact, you may have seen this meme before, and I think it says it pretty well, God is not the author of confusion, says 43,000 different Christian denominations. Now, that's kind of humorous, but it's also one of those kind of punches to the face that tries to hopefully wake us up and think that it's important that we realize that we say 1 Corinthians 14, 33, but yet then we sometimes act differently. In John chapter 17 and verse number 21, Jesus praying what should be probably referred to as the Lord's Prayer And John 17 and verse 21 says that all believers may be one in us. Why? Why should everyone be one? Why should everyone be united? Jesus prays that the world may believe that you sent me. As the son is praying to the father, he is saying that he is praying for unity. That we would agree on things, not just for the sake of getting along, Not just because I like it best and you're willing to go along with what I like best, but because we are united in the Father. And we are united so that the world may believe, may believe that God sent Jesus. The fault does not lie with God, but it lies with man. And this morning as we begin this particular series or looking at these two lessons, it's going to help us to understand, first of all, something about God's revelation. To understand a little bit about God's revelation. Now we're not talking specifically about the book of Revelation. But we're talking in general about God's revelation to man. In fact very often when we refer to God's revelation. We are simply saying that first of all this morning. God has spoken. God has spoken to man. Let's notice two things under this point. Number one, God has spoken to man by creation. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn to Psalm 19. We're going to look at two passages from here, one under this point and one under the next point. But Psalm chapter 19 in verses 1 through 4. Psalm 19, 1 through 4. The psalmist says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. 
In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun. <coughs> Excuse me. The psalmist says here that all of these things, the heavens, the firmament, creation, declares God's handiwork. God has spoken to us by creation. In fact, in Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1 in verse number 20, Romans 1.20, Paul would say, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. His invisible attributes are clearly seen. He speaks through nature, through creation. Even in Acts chapter 14, in verse number 17, Acts 14, there are people who are, are lauding after Paul, and they're even wanting to create idols in the image of Paul. But Paul, speaking of God, says, Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness. In that, he did good. He gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. God did not leave himself without witness. Nature shouts that God is. We didn't get the beautiful snow, or at least most of us didn't, that we had hoped for over the last week. But whether it's the beautiful snow that falls, or, or the sunny day, or the rainbow, or whatever it may be, creation tells us that God is. Now, this is not necessarily a problem, but you might say the problem with God speaking by nature is that nature doesn't answer questions for us, such as, who God is, or why we are here, or what happens beyond this life. You see, nature doesn't answer those questions for us. In fact, using this term revelation, we might say that by nature or creation, God has spoken in general revelation. But let's notice, secondly, that God has also spoken in communication. Not just creation, but communication. You see, if creation and nature is the general revelation, we could look around us and see that God is and that he made these beautiful things for us. We also have specific revelation. And that is what God does by communication. In Psalm not, chapter 19 again, Psalm 19, this time jumping down to verse number 7. Verses 1 through 4 talk about nature, but verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. Converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The fear of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord, excuse me, is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. See, the psalmist here talks about God speaking by creation, but he also speaks of God speaking by communication. He has given us statutes, commandments, and judgments in which we are to follow. And verse number 11 finishes by saying that then there is a reward for those who keep them. God has given us communication. In fact, the other passage that we usually mention here is Hebrews chapter 1 and verses 1 through 3. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Do you remember there that the Hebrew writer begins this great book by saying that God, 
who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. Pause there for just a minute. God spoke in times past to the people by the prophets and by the, spoke to the fathers by the prophets. He spoke in various ways. The various ways there is in the Old Testament, of course, he spoke by visions. We talked about one of those already this morning, Isaiah chapter 6. He spoke by direct revelation. Sometimes he spoke directly to someone. He also spoke sometimes by dreams. So God, who at various times in the past spoke in various ways to the fathers by the prophets, has now in these last days spoken to us by his son. In these last days, the Hebrew writer is there referring to this Christian dispensation. This time in which we are living, in which we are living no longer under the old law, the law of Moses, the Mosaical dispensation, but the Christian dispensation under the law of Christ. And in these last days, God has still spoken to us, and he has spoken to us by his son. So yes, he has given us very general revelation and also specific revelation. But not only that, we would notice that in speaking to man, we would realize that the Bible is God's message for man. We've talked about this and emphasized this recently over the course of last year and even last Sunday together here during this time of study. But the Bible is God's message for man, but it is also incomparable. There is nothing that compares. It is 100% unique. And let's look very quickly at just a few ways in which that is true. Number one, it is incomparable in its duration. It has stood the test of time. Atheists, skeptics have come and gone. They've lived and they have died, but the Bible still stands. In fact, there's a statement that is made, I'm not sure who to attribute it to, but it says that the Bible is the anvil that has worn out many a hammer. The Bible is incomparable in its duration. Time has shown that following it is the best life. In fact, you'll find many atheists and skeptics who will tell you and agree with you that if you read the Bible and you live the life that says that maybe consuming too much alcohol is a bad thing, maybe being promiscuous sexually is a bad thing and can harm your body and your life, maybe spending a life full of murder and lying and stealing is going to get you in trouble and not be a good thing. Most folks would agree that if you just read the Bible and take it as a self-help book, you can live a great life. It is incomparable in its duration because time has shown through thousands of years that to follow it is to live the best life. But number two, it is incomparable in its claims. It's incomparable in its claims because the Bible claims to be the word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Literally, literally there it says that it is God-breathed. The word of God, the Bible, is God-breathed, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished, or thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you're following along in your Bible, look with me at 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. This is an important place to, to touch on this very quickly because here Peter writes, 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. 
Now, pause there on what some people say is then, well, you can't interpret the Bible. You need help. I mean, we need help to interpret it because we can't do it. But when th those words are literally translated, a better way of that reading is that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private origination. Of any private origination. Now, we know that from the Greek, but also from the next verse. Because you don't have to know Greek to understand it. Verse 21 says, for, connecting these two statements, for prophecy never came by the will of man. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, Peter, they didn't just sit down and say, hmm, well, I've got some great ideas, and everybody else needs to hear those. I think I'll write a book because I've got wisdom. No, inspiration says here, prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The word moved there is also a great study in the original language. It, it carries with it the idea of being born along or carried along or brought along. So we might say that these holy men of God, they spoke as they were brought along by the Holy Spirit. And we understand that it's not a private origin, origination, but the Bible is incomparable in its claims. It claims superiority to any and all other books. We know that Peter would write as well in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 3 that he has given unto us all things that pertains to life and godliness. It is superior, and it is superior and incomparable in its claims. Number three, it is also incomparable in its accuracy. It's also incomparable in its accuracy. Archaeology, astrology, Astronomy, geology, all those other words all confirm the Bible. The Bible is not a scientific textbook, but it's also not dependent upon those things. But yet all of these different studies work together to confirm the word. You know, there are many ways that we could talk about this in archaeology. The Hittites were a group of people who lived. And for years, no one ever found evidence here on this earth and digging in the dirt and the sand and through looking at archaeology. No one ever found evidence of the Hittites. And they would say, well, the Bible's not true. Until finally, someone found evidence of the Hittites. It's back to that old point that we don't have to find Noah's Ark in order for there to have been a Noah's Ark. We didn't have to find proof of the Hittites to know they were Hittites because the Bible said so. And many people thought there weren't one because we didn't find it. But yet we eventually did find it. We don't have to, but it is encouraging when we can because the Bible's not dependent upon geology and astronomy and these things, but it is accurate. The Bible stands out as uniquely inerrant. No errors. People have once again tried for thousands of years, and yet it stands the test of time. Number four, we would notice that the Bible is incomparable in its prophecy. It is incomparable in its prophecy. When we think about prophecy, this is a whole study in and of itself. And we're going to look at just a couple of things here that help us to understand about prophecy. Because there are many people who claim to be prophets. We think, first of all, under prophecy, that the Bible is prophetic in its timing. It's perfect and prophetic in its timing. Do you know that in Daniel chapter 2, in verse number 44, that Daniel would say, in the, in the days of these kings... Who are these kings? Well, if you read Daniel chapter 2, he is prophesying about kingdoms that would come. He talks about four particular groups, the Babylonians, the Medes and the Persians, the Grecians and the Romans who would come along. 
And he says in verse 44 of chapter 2, that in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. Amongst these other ones that he has mentioned, and of course he has, God did in the days of the Roman Empire, which is mentioned there, and we can know and understand, in the days of the Roman Empire, the church is established, a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. The Bible is incomparable in its prophecy because of the timing. Have you ever met one of those people who would, we'd be standing outside the city maybe, and the city's ready to fall? You know, we're going to charge tomorrow and take the city, and the person stands there and says, I think and I prophesy that tomorrow this city shall fall. And somebody says, well, obviously, we're standing here ready to take it. That's pretty bad timing. But God doesn't have that kind of timing. In fact, when you think about Isaiah chapter 44 and verse number 28, the Bible says, Isaiah says, and speaks of Cyrus. God calls the name of Cyrus well over a hundred years before he is even born. Cyrus is... Cyrus's mother is not waiting to deliver him and already named him before he's born. And then somebody says, well, I think there's a person named Cyrus going to be born tomorrow. A hundred years. God prophesies this. Names the name of Cyrus and it comes true. In its timing, it is incomparable. Also in its details. If you've ever studied Daniel chapter 11 before, it gets all the details right. There are detailed prophecies in Daniel chapter 11 of the conflict between Syria and Egypt. And how Judea and Palestine were caught in the middle. We don't have time this morning, but it is an amazing detailed prophecies that are included there. But not only is it the timing and the details, but it's also the fulfillment. And not just fulfillment, but the exact fulfillment. Every word is fulfilled. We think about Jeremiah chapter 25 and verses 11 and 12. There are other prophets who are prophesying to the people and they're saying, well, you know, we're about to go into captivity, but we just need a little help. Maybe a little help from Egypt. And Jeremiah said, oh, it's coming. Whether we get help from Egypt or not, it's coming. Being carried away into captivity is coming. Then those same prophets are saying, well, you know, if we, get, if we get, become captive, it'll be okay. It's just going to be a short time. But Jeremiah says, it's going to be 70 years. Guess how long it was? It was 70 years. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 18, Jesus says, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And guess what? Death didn't prevail against it. Jesus rose from the dead. He established his kingdom, the church. And the Bible is incomparable in its prophecy with its timing, with its details, with its exact fulfillment, and this is an even deeper, richer study that we could go through if we had time to understand all of these things and how wonderful and encouraging it is. The Bible is also incomparable in its message. Have you ever considered before that the message of God, and I think this is a quotation from maybe um, the Christian Courier and our brother Wayne Jackson, but he said it this way, the Bible's message is neither coldly intellectual nor mindlessly fanatical. Think about that for a second. Let me say it again. The Bible's message is neither coldly intellectual nor mindlessly fanatical. In fact, we have been studying Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 1, God would say, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Let us reason together. It's not just that we're robots. It's not that we just have to be fanatical fans who are believing everything without any kind of thought process. Come now, let us reason together. 
In fact, in John chapter 14, in verse number 15, John 14, 15, Jesus would say, If you love me, which sounds like emotion to us, and I guess it is in a sense, if you love me, keep my commandments. You see, there is emotion, but don't get caught up in just jumping around or hooping and hollering and all this emotion, but you also have to be obedient. Its message is neither coldly intellectual nor mindlessly fanatical. And this implies origination in a mind that is different from man's. You see, when men get in the position of leadership, when men are the ones who stand up and say certain things, very often those are the things that can become words like cults or or situations in which then man falls because there's a problem with that human man who still has sin in his life. But yet this implies origination somewhere else outside of man because this message is so wonderful, which which leads us to the last point here in that it, it is incomparable in its unity. There is one theme, and that singular theme is man's salvation to God's glory. The theme of the Bible, it's united in, through the whole book, that the story, the theme, the message is man's salvation to God's glory. But let's also notice here very quickly that that united theme comes across 40 different men about 40 men, writing about 1,500 years, from the first word to the last word, 1,500 years worth of writing. I can't write something down today and then unify it tomorrow with my thoughts sometimes, but over 1,500 years, it is unified in its theme. It's incomparable. It must be the word of God, and it must be God's message for man. But let's think very quickly as we conclude this morning Not only about the revelation of God, but then as we set the stage for next week and we'll think about some of these reasons why people disagree on Scripture, it's important that we understand man's responsibility. We understand the responsibility of man. You see, God could have used any means he wanted to communicate with mankind. I know that technology wasn't around in the early days, obviously. You know, technology and computer chips didn't come along to much later. But as I like to say sometimes, I reckon that God could have done just about anything. He could have had somebody invent computers and technology many years ago and and that from the very creation and that we had to have a computer chip inserted into our body or into our brains or be hooked up to some kind of machine to know what he wants. He could have, of course, zapped us and simply said that this is the way it's going to be When we hit a specific age, we just sort of get hit upside the head, and now we understand what God wants. I reckon that God could have chosen any means he wanted to communicate with mankind, but he chose words. In 2 Samuel chapter 23 and verse number 2, 2 Samuel 23 and verse number 2, the Spirit of the Lord, David says, spoke by me, and his word was on my tongue. You see, once again, we could spend a lot of time in this particular point, but we see even in the Old Testament, those who are communicating with God are speaking about his words. We come forward, of course, to the New Testament in John chapter 6 and verse 63. John 6 and verse 63, and Jesus says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. God has always communicated by words, and we can take comfort in that. We can understand. 
In fact, we would notice that it is man's responsibility to read and to understand. It is man's responsibility then, if God has communicated to us by words, and he has communicated, and he has communicated using words, that is our responsibility to read and understand. God's promise, in fact, is that if you will seek, you will find, right? Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11, God has promised, seek, and you will find. And even in John chapter 7 and verse number 17, John 7, 17, if anyone wills to do his will, if anyone wants to, desires to, we have the responsibility to, if anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. You see, our responsibility to seek and then we can find, seeking is more than just hoping. Seeking is more than just a feeling, but it's rolling up your sleeves and it's getting in the word and it's studying. That's how we seek. And God promises us that if we seek, we will find. We also realize that when we read, we can understand. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. Ephesians 3, 3 through 5, Paul would use a word here that confuses us sometimes. He uses the word mystery. Mystery. He says, how by revelation, God made known to me the mystery. So people say, well, wait a minute, preacher, it's a mystery. But no, it is something that was once hidden, but has now been revealed. Because go on through the rest of the passage. Paul says, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Paul says it has been revealed. When we read, we can understand and we can absolutely know. John 8, 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. We can absolutely know. Not only that, but think about two pa other passages that maybe don't come to your mind usually. First of all, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. Timothy, Paul says, from a child knew the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Why are these front two rows important up here every time that we meet together? Because we know that from youth, people can understand the word of God. Paul would, all, excuse me, Jesus would also say in Mark chapter 12 and verse number 37, Mark would record for us that the common people heard him gladly. Not the elite. Not the richest, not those that God has just spoken to in some miraculous way. But the common people heard him gladly and understood him. And as we began this lesson, we notice here at the conclusion, 1 Corinthians 14, 33, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. That is his desire for us. I would think sometimes, and I don't mean to be irreverent, and speak, uh, put God on too much of a human level, but sometimes we try to understand that way. And if we do that as parents do sometimes, I would try to imagine that sometimes God is probably shaking his head in frustration at us, saying, how can they get it so wrong? Why is it that they disagree so much on Scripture? Well, there's some other reasons that, again, God be willing, we'll come back and talk about next Sunday morning. We hope that you can be with us. But we need to understand this morning to lay the foundation that God has spoken. And he has done so in a way that man can understand. You, me, anyone out on the street, anyone we meet in our workplace or in school or in the store, 
man can understand. <clears throat> and honestly, we should give thanks for that. Even this morning, be thankful for that. Hopefully that's why you are here or part of the reason that you are here. God has spoken. We can understand. The question now is, are you listening? Are you listening to the word of God and trying to understand what he has told us to do? As we conclude our lesson this morning, we're about to sing a song of invitation. <clears throat> Excuse me, and we extend heaven's invitation. That is that we can read and know and understand how it is that we are to be saved. That we become obedient to the will of God. Now, this is one of those things, as you look at this slide almost every week, that people disagree on a lot. <clears throat> we're not going to get into specific details of every issue next week. But we are going to try to understand some of the reasons why. Are you listening to what God has said? If you have, are seeing this for the first time or are confused about what it says, we will gladly study with you as soon as possible. It is that important. He has told us what to do. We can know it and understand it and be obedient. Have you been obedient this morning to the simple plan of salvation? If not, why not? We'll be singing to encourage you that you would be baptized for the remission of sins. You know, there, once again, God speaks very specifically in the Bible and says, you know what? You get in the water, but it's not about getting a bath. It's not about getting the dirt off of your skin. It's about having the sin removed from your life by the blood of Christ. We can know and understand that. You can do that even this morning. Or maybe you're here and you've done that in times past, but as a child of God this morning, you have wandered away. The Bible, once again, is very clearly that we can fall away from God and stand in danger of eternal punishment. If you are in that category this morning, you need to come back to him. We would gladly be singing to encourage you as well. The point is, is that no one has to leave confused or no one has to leave worried, fearful of where they would be for all of eternity if your life were to be required today or the Lord to return. It's with all of that in mind that we sing to encourage you even now as we stand together and as we sing.